of Joshua chapter 5 and verse number 13 just a handful of verses in our hearing there's so many places here that we could read but I thought this might be indicative of what the Lord had designed and truth a lead word inside not necessarily hidden and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho not yet arrived he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. But as the captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place wherein thou standest is holy. And that's what Joshua did. Amen. There are keys. They are available. And we need one of them today. Amen. And all the people said in Jesus' name. We invoke your name, holy God. Let the name of Jesus and your spirit be a blanket over us. And anoint me to preach your word. Do your work in Jesus' name. Before I preach, I want you to know, I, I asked the Lord about this. And as I was given this, I asked him of the outcome. And he said, this is the impression. He said to me, just preach the word. I'll speak to the people while you're preaching. And I'll give the outcome to each one if they receive it. That my job here today is is not um, is not to make things so plain and transparent that it would be easy to grab and you could walk away and throw it away but that the Lord will speak to you while I'm preaching whatever that is God knows all of the word he he is here we come for the worship uh, I'm sorry we come for the word he comes for the worship he already knows the word he wrote the word. He is the word. Uh, amen. But he's going to speak. And everyone said in Jesus' name. Just, if you'll, if you'll just clap your hands and make a loud noise to the Lord today.
We're not going to lose any of these grapes today. Now, if you weren't here last week, you don't know. You'll have to go back and listen. But we're unwilling to lose one grape. We're not going to let the enemy take anything from us. And we're going to present to the Lord our desperate need of him. And if you're ready to get back all the things that you've lost along the way, you lift up your voice right now and say, in Jesus' name, we are going to recover everything that the enemy's taken. We're not going to live with a deficit. We're not going to learn to cope. Hallelujah. Thank you. The totality of what the Bible describes to us in these verses was given by God and ordered according to his divine purpose. Each step that the people took was clearly marked according to the Lord's divine will. All of them except just for one. In all, God was speaking to Joshua in profound ways. When Moses had died and Joshua took the reins of leadership, it was the Lord who granted witness to the anointing of Joshua and confirmed it through miraculous means. The people knew that the mantle of leadership had rested with Joshua Because Moses had laid his hands on him and prayed wisdom over him. And then God gave Joshua favor and wisdom. But of course, nothing could surpass the moment of the crossing of the Red Sea. But that was given to Moses. That particular moment was etched in the minds of the people. And yet, the Lord did not leave himself without a witness of his anointing on the life and leadership of Joshua. Because when God puts his hand on a man and commissions that man for the work of the kingdom, God will do more than just sustain him. The Lord will prove himself. Even today, the preaching of the gospel does not stand alone. God proves himself with miracles and signs and wonders. As in the days of the apostles, God supports his own message. Mark 16, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. God is going to show himself powerful and alive to his people. If we continue to preach the gospel, the doctrines of baptisms, of water and spirit, just as Jesus did to Nicodemus, God will confirm his word with signs following. (laughs) It can happen today, but next Sunday night there will be signs following. 
It can happen tomorrow, but next Sunday night, there's going to be signs following. Joshua was given the reins of this leadership and went toward the land of promise by sending two men to spy out the city of Jericho. He was very careful and very intentional. And those men went to Jericho, spied out the land. They, they drew up something, perhaps even spoke of the city, the layout, brought it back. We're not privy to exactly what they brought back, but they did spy it out, which indicates that they were surveying the area. And those men not, did not just bring back some diagram, but they brought back news of the victory that was already in their hands. Long before the moment of victory, there was an anticipation of it. They did not realize it with their natural eyes, but they knew it in their spirit. And then came another crossing. It was not the Red Sea, but it was another crossing. Joshua led the people across the Jordan River at the season of the flood. But the Lord was giving him a detailed plan to make it over. He did not just think it up himself. Here's the Bible. And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of Jordan, and the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand up and heap. Notice, God spake to Joshua. God ordered the path, and Joshua knew what to do because God told him what to do. God told him what would happen before it happened. And when the priest picked up the Ark of the Covenant, held by the staves, and then placed it on their shoulders, these poles on their shoulders, and they walked forward, and they put their foot in that water. The river rolled back and stood up upon and heap. And then God ordered 12 stones to be carried from the middle of that now dry riverbed and built up as a memorial of the miracle. Watch this. Verse 15 of Joshua 4. And the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Command the priests that bear the ark of the testimony that they come up out of Jordan. Now you can move. Every step ordered by God. Every moment ordained by the Lord. God spake. The Lord spoke to Joshua. There was no confusion. These events were given and known to Joshua by the Lord himself. There was no guessing, no wondering, no suggestions. The Lord spoke to Joshua. He did not have to think of what to do because God put the word in his mouth. And when they crossed over, having experienced all of these supernatural wonders, Joshua looked up to see a man with a sword in his hand. Even after the Lord rolled back the water, the Lord decided to reinforce his sovereignty. The parting of the Jordan River and the news of their forthcoming victory and the 12 stones of remembrance would have been enough for me, but the Lord decided to present his holy presence because before the great victory, the Lord wanted to make known his holiness. What looked to Joshua like a normal man was something far different. He saw him, and at first he decided to test the man's loyalty. I don't know who you are, but I'm going to test your loyalty. Joshua asked this man, whose side are you on? And then, upon that question, this angelic being revealed that he is indeed the captain of the Lord's army. And the reply is an identification of holiness. Yes, the Lord was with Joshua. But Joshua, in all his wisdom and appointment, was subject to the voice of the Lord. And that angelic being, which took on the human form, 
he's still a mystery to the biblical scholar. I, I will not muse on who exactly this, this was, though many have found it to be in similarity to the theophany which wrestled with Jacob in the night and also the voice that burned in the bush that would not be consumed. Just know that it's never my side or your side. He's not on my side or your side. He's on his own side. He don't succumb to me or to you. We succumb to him. Oh, that's, that's tough. But you got to understand, it's the Lord who's holy. You submit your life of holiness to the Lord. Amen. God's on his own side. He takes the counsel of his own will. God is a righteous God. He's a holy God and altogether pure. And we can say through our broken mindset of divided lines and frail understanding that the Lord's on our side. I get it. But that only means that he is for us. And yes, the Lord is for us. But the reality is this. He won't leave his holy nature to submit to your carnal pursuit. He's not going to stop being holy just to bolster our carnal ideas because he's a holy God. Whose side are you on today? Whose side are you on? And the captain of the host said, I'm not on your side, on their side. (laughs) I've got my own side. And the place where you're standing is holy ground. So take off your shoes. Because honor and respect must be given. Holy ground means that you change the way you come and taking off your shoes means that you change your approach to our holy God and you change your tone to our holy God. And Joshua, when he heard that, he fell on his face to the earth, just laid out, face to the ground because he was in the presence of something and someone far greater than he, he knew. This is a holy place. I've got to change something. And he heard the same words that Moses heard when Moses stood before that burning bush in the wilderness. And God spake to the bush and said, through the bush and said, take off your shoes, Moses. You're standing on holy ground. Hear me. His presence makes every place holy. Wherever he is, it's a holy place. And when you approach him, you have to approach him because he's a holy God. And you do it with fear and reverence. Sometimes you got to take things off. Not nonchalant, not coming with, with a carnal mindset, but you stand before God because he's a holy God. And Joshua, he was being led by the hand of the Lord. God was giving insight all along the way. God told them how many days to march and what would happen when they stopped marching and what to do at the end of the last of the seven days. March six days one time around the walls of Jericho. And on the seventh day, march seven days. And then at the end of that, Shout, let there be the sound of the trumpet. Spirit-led, guided by the voice, instructed by the knowledge of the Alpha and the Omega. God was leading the way. Jericho's walls were so high and they were so thick that a chariot, the Bible says, could race atop them. It was a fortified city. It boasted of greatness and strength. And I can only imagine the comfort it brought to Joshua to see and know the moments to come. That gave him security. The crossing of the Jordan River gave him confidence. And then the memorial stones. And then this angelic theophany. And the clear instructions of those seven days of marching. And the sound of the trumpet and the coming victory. God spoke it all to Joshua. He spoke it before it happened. And then it happened. And the proof of his word became tangible each time. Victory and wonder, blessings and provisions, supernatural things 
like the human mind cannot compute. No way. All of it like a blanket covering their every move. And who knows? The adrenaline coursing through their veins. The rush of fight combined with the proof of the short hand of God. And they shouted and the walls came down. And they ran into the city and overtook it. Because God led the way. Oh, that God would lead the way. If God leads the way, nothing is impossible. Every wall will come crumble. Every impossible wall will come down. Impenetrable walls. Walls of fear. And walls of intimidation and doubt and terror they tower over the people of God but the Lord is greater than all of that those walls spoke of oppression over the Lord's people but there are no walls greater than our God there is no fear greater than our God there is no obstacle greater than our God there's no person greater than our God Joshua heard the voice of the Lord and then relayed the instruction to the people the instructions of what to do and where to go and where to stand and when and, and when to march and, and, and where to where how how to come in and out of the river and, and, and how to go before the, the city and all of that was given. Joshua six two. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast in the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up every man straight in. God said it. He ordained it. He spoke it. And it happened. God gave clear instruction. Joshua did not have to think about what to do. God spoke it and it happened. And then came the next day and their world changed. After all the rejoicing and conquest and victory. All of it given by the Lord. After all the words of instruction and spiritual intervention. A theophany no less. A visitation of the captain of the host. Go figure that if you can. The crossing of the Jordan River and the explicit command to God from God to build this thing that would last for generations to keep in mind and be a witness of the Lord's fulfilled promise. And then the next day, they went to fight against a very small, insignificant city that had no walls and no army to speak of. And at that moment, the children of Israel were defeated, soundly defeated. Joshua did not send his entire army. He did not send all of his people and all of his great men to fight the city, the little city of Ai. Only 3,000 men went. The Bible says some of his, some of his generals and, and counsel said to Joshua, don't send them all, but let about 3,000 men go up and then they will smite Ai and make not all the people fight because Ai are but a few. But when the men of Israel went to fight, that little no account city swallowed them up and Ai smote Israel. And in a moment, 36,000 Israelite men lay sprawled out on the ground, bleeding out, their bodies lifeless and still. And many of the others found themselves wounded and running for their lives. Joshua 7, 4, they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote of them about three, 30 and 6 men. And they chased them from before the gate, even to Shabiram, and smote them in the going down. Wherefore, the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Israel just melted away. All that victory a day before. Before. All of that conquest the day before, the voice of the Almighty God preparing each step of the people and God telling Joshua ahead of time what to do and what would happen and then nothing. When Jericho was defeated, 
the Lord gave a warning to his people. God said, you're going to take Jericho. But do not take anything for yourself because all those things are devoted. Once I give you the, the victory, they are devoted. They belong to me. But to you, if you take them, they are cursed. And if you take what belongs to God, you will make the whole camp cursed. And ye, Joshua 6, in any wise, keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed. When ye take the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it, because it belongs to me. Everything was supposed to be put into the treasury of the tabernacle. All of it. All the precious things were to be kept by the Lord and given to the Lord. And God said, I've given you the victory. But when you overcome the gold and the silver and the silk and the raiment, they belong to me. But during the gathering of articles, and I suppose in the middle of the triumph chaos, after Jericho was soundly defeated, a man named Achan took what did not belong to him. He stole something that belonged to God. And then the Lord went silent. All the words of instruction given to Joshua vanished. All the insights and spiritual manifestations, they just still, they stood empty. Nothing, just nothing. And when the leaders of the army urged Joshua just to send a few people just to fight against that little no-account city of Ai, God said nothing. All the words of the Lord ended the moment that Achan took what did not belong to him. God knew that they would be defeated and God said nothing. Joshua, so tuned in to the Lord, could not overcome the disobedience of the people. The disobedience of Achan caused a chain reaction that materialized in, de in defeat. And to that end, Joshua said, we've been defeated. It's time to get clean. It's time to repent. We've got to purge. We've got to purify. We've got to cleanse ourselves and rid ourselves of everything. He's a holy God. And our victory is secured by the key of obedience. Our victory is made possible and certain in our obedience to the Lord. Our victory is not given to us by our own means. He can still save by many or by few. If God before us, the young preacher just said today, who can be against us? The key is obedience. And if we don't have obedience, we have nothing. AI is a small thing. But in God's kingdom, purity is the, re is the requisite for success. AI pales in comparison to Jericho. They're not, even, they're not on the same page. But the lesson is that it's not about the size of the army. The lesson is that the real battle is in the condition of the heart of the people of God. In here is the battle. If you win the battle of a right spirit and a pure heart and clean hands and right living and holiness, the small and the large all look the same. The outcome is not determined by the size of your giftedness or the size of the enemy. The outcome is determined by our level of obedience to a holy God. Even Paul said that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but when Israel felt the sting of defeat and the loss, he knew there's a spiritual problem here. 
Verse 6, Joshua 7. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening time. He lay there all day until the evening time. He and the elders of Israel put on dust upon their heads. The promise was that the whole land of Canaan was theirs. And God gave that promise and repeated that promise. And the covenant was given from generation, from Abraham on. But promises lay empty without obedience. Obedience is the key. Obedience opens the door to God's promises. And if you receive a promise or a prophecy or a word, all of it rests on the submission of your spirit to the Lord's already established word. I hope you get a prophecy. I hope that the Lord speaks to you. What a gift to have someone speak into your life. Maybe you can receive a personal word or some prophetic thing that forecasts the blessings in your future. But if you are disobedient, if we are disobedient, we can kiss all that goodbye. Because God is not going to step over willful sin to bless people. I don't know what you've come here to see. A reed blowing in the wilderness or in the wind. But I've come to preach to you. There is a key that you've got to have in your life. It's called obedience. And when you're not obedient to God, don't look for the blessings of the Lord. But if you will submit yourself to the word of the Lord. And you'll cleanse your life and cleanse your mind and cleanse your heart. I I know what we see because I've been there and I'm with you. Because we see a problem. We see an obstacle. And we're looking at that obstacle. We're looking at the problem. Whatever the situation is, sickness or health or family or whatever those things are, maybe some material thing, we look at that problem and we start to pray about it. Well, the key to overcoming that is not, is not trying to have the right word or the right thing. The key is in my heart, I've got to obey the Lord. In my life, I've got to be clean before God. And when I do that, the Lord can wipe out all of that. What mountain is too high for God? What thing is too high for our God? He can take all of that away in a moment. Moment. You're saying, I, I'm, I'm struggling. I, don't, I, I wanted to get somewhere and I can't get there. God can change your whole life in one moment. All the resumes you put out there, the Lord can say, I'll tell you, you okay, I'm going to give you somebody. They're going to come to you. You never ask for their help, but I'm going to send them to you. That's your God. He can do all of that. I've said this many times. Let me just say it again. When the Lord appeared to his disciples, the Bible says he appeared through a wall and was in the room. That tells me the Lord doesn't need a door to put you in the room. You need a door because you're thinking natural and you're thinking, you're thinking material. But God doesn't need a door. He doesn't need you to have some, some kind of education to put you in the room. He can put the wisdom and the knowledge in your brain and bless you. I pray that you go to the doctor and I want you to have the right medication and don't be foolish with your health but I want to tell you there's no medicine greater than the touch of the Lord and there's no doctor greater than the great physician. Joshua just tore his clothes and he fell down on his face and just laid there and the elders just laid down and they just laid before God from the moment they heard the news whatever time that was they did that until it was dark I just laid there and prayed and groveled before God (laughs) 
laid out. Laid out. That's the second time in as many days, probably under a span of two weeks, Joshua put his face to the ground. First time is in recognition of a holy God. The second time and in recognition that the people were not holy and judgment had come. You serve a holy God. You're called to be a holy people. You're not called to be a corrupt people. You don't follow the things of the world. You don't go to places. Why? Why don't you go there? Because a holy God is not coming with you into that place. A holy God doesn't think that way, doesn't say that thing. A holy people don't want to bring, don't want to usher in. You don't do all that junk. You don't, you, this is not what you do because you're a set apart people. You're a holy people. Go ahead and follow that road of intellectualism. It'll lead you to where you are today in this world where nobody knows who a man is and who a woman is. And you think, I'll never get there. I'll never do that. Let me tell you, he's a holy God. And you got to go back to being obedient to the word of the Lord. Because if you thwart that, you don't know where you'll end up. I say to all the college students today and all the young people in high schools, I say to you, make sure that your heart's right with God and obey the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. I say to all the men and the ladies of the church, it might be time for you to fall before the Lord and lay on your face before God. And before you say, well, that's not, I, it's not my personality, I'm reminded of my friend, Brother Lejeune, who preached about exuberant worship, and he's talking about the word and the etymology of the word. And then later a man came up to him and, and rebuffed him. and said, well, Brother Lejeune, that's just not my style. Wrong answer, of course, especially to that guy. Worship is not a style. Has nothing to do with your personality. Fact of the matter is, when you get mad, any one of you, you probably lose your temper. You'll give your temper away out of anger, but you won't give your emotion away to God. I know people that go to church will shout obscenities at the worst time in life, but they won't shout, Jesus, at the best time of life. You're in control. Your personality is not in control. Maybe you need to lose your pride and lay on the floor and just put your face on the ground and say, Woe is me, Lord. I've, you're a holy God. Your clothes are not that good. Your shoes are not that fine. Your education is not that grand. Your personality is killing you because you can't get before God. was the last time you shouted before the Lord and cried out to God and went to your knees when was the last time you laid out before the Lord and said I need you oh God I need you does your do your children have to lay on a deathbed for you to cry out to God do you have to go to the to the worst time of life before you have tears 
I'm going to tell you what, I'm after victory, I'm after Holy Ghost power, I'm after conquering the city, and I don't want to lose any grapes and any people and any power. So I'll tell you what we got to do, we got to get to obedience and purify ourselves and cleanse ourselves of all unrighteousness and get our words right and our minds right and our spirits right and our attitudes right. Boldness has never been a problem with me, so I apologize up front. You don't have a privilege. You don't retain the privilege to have a bad spirit. You're a child of the king. You're a citizen of the commonwealth of faith. You don't get the right and the privilege to have a bad attitude. You've been blood-bought. He paid for your sins, and you did nothing to earn that. By grace, through faith are you saved, and not of yourselves. It was the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Just go the step further, and you don't have a right to be offended. Because if you're truly dead to your flesh... You can't get offended. Go up to the grave. Go up to the to the to the grave. Go up to the coffin and say something ugly to the dead man. He will not respond to you unless he's alive. At that juncture, run. <laughs> but if that guy is alive, well, praise God, it's the resurrection. I don't know. But many times, by the t- every time, in fact, so far, when they're in the coffin, they're gone. It don't matter what you say about them. It's interesting. People say things that are not necessarily true when they're in the, in the coffin. They don't say anything good while they're alive. This is what they say when they walk by. Doesn't he look good? Isn't he natural? Doesn't he look normal? No, he does not. He's dead. You could go up and say, you're, you're ugly. You've always been ugly. Uh, you, you've never been good. You kicked your dog. And that man, he's not going to respond to you because he's dead. But when you respond, it means you're alive in your flesh. You've not crucified your flesh. You're not dead. You're not hanging on a cross like Jesus said. You've got no right. I want to ask some of you men, when was the last time you came to the altar and prayed? Please don't tell me that's not your personality. Don't tell me I'll come when I have a need. Don't tell me that. This is a holy God. I'm calling for you to pray. Get on your face and ask God for help. How about dancing before the Lord? You know, that's in the Bible. Dance is in the Bible. You mean you're going to do everything, but you're going to dance before the Lord? Really? You're not going to shout before God? You're not going to lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting? That's in the Bible. What are we going to do? This is what Father Larry Moran told me about 15 years ago. And he's passed away now. But he, he, he was a Catholic priest monsignor of multiple different parishes. And, he, and we would get together and we'd have coffee about 18 years ago. He would say, Pastor, you're, you're full of fire. He said, some time I'd like you to speak to, to my congregation. He said, I don't think it will happen. He said, but I, I tell them about, about all the things you need to do. And he said, I've got a bunch of, here's what he called them, cafeteria Catholics. 
He said, they just go through the line, pick out what they want. And I'm telling you, you can't just pick out what you want. you got to have everything. I said, man, you are preaching. Why don't you come to my church and preach cafeteria Pentecostals? Don't get to pick and choose what you want. No, you've been blood-bought. <laughs> yes. Now, I, I, I just want to give this to you. David was the king. But when it came time to welcome the Ark of the Covenant into the city of Jerusalem, the scripture says that he danced and he lost, I suppose, his royal garment that identified him as the king. All he had left on was the undergarment, which was an ephod. And now he didn't look like a king. He looked like a commoner. For 2 Samuel six fourteen, And David danced before the Lord with all his might. It's in the Bible. And when his wife saw him, she mocked him at his lack of decorum. But David said, I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. Because I don't care what anyone thinks. You think this is bad, you just wait till next Sunday. <laughs> and if you want to get right... Don't do a little private prayer. You get on your face before God. Who cares who sees you? When David sinned, he laid before the Lord and put on sackcloth and ashes, much like Mordecai wept before the Lord. Because in great times of need, the Bible says, even the prophet Daniel, and I quote, he said, so I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. you got to lose your identity when you get before the Lord. It's not about you, where you come from. It's not about me, where I come from. It's about getting myself in alignment with the holy God. Because the battle is not with them. The battle is with me. Please be seated for a moment. And when you're seated, clap your hands unto the Lord. I'm unwilling to lose any of the things that the Lord has given. But I know that unless we're obedient to God and to his word, things will be stolen from us. Grapes will be gone. Things may be unnoticed. But I know that the Lord is a holy God. He's a holy Savior. And then I have to be a holy man of God. Leviticus. Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be ye holy, for I am holy. I'm the Lord your God. 1 Peter 1.14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. The next verse. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it's written... Be ye holy, for I'm holy. That's the word of the Lord. We have a promise and a common promise. And we can be an overcomer. And every spirit and every enemy and every thing that we face can be overcome. We are commissioned to spread the gospel. Our families need to be saved, ladies and gentlemen. Your neighbors need to have the Holy Ghost. They need to be baptized in the only saving name of Jesus Christ, according to Acts 4.12. 
Now you can argue if you will, but the victory belongs to, to the Lord and it comes through obedience, not through the wisdom of this world, not the talent or ability. I thank God for all those things, but the Lord brings the victory, not me. It's not going to come through affluence or money or resources or know-how. It's going to come through the Lord. God can do anything, but he is a holy God and he's calling today for his people to be a holy people. trying to find the equivalent I'm not sure the equivalent but I know that there are men who don't live right they're grimy I have heard the equivalent of a woman they would call her a flucy I don't know how old that word is but you can't be grimy and you can't be a flucy and then lift up your hands and act like you're saved Because your neighbor may not know, but the spirit world knows that. And if the good man of the house is bound, the thief can come in and take whatever he wants. I stand here to to cry out to the people of God. Let's be a holy people. We have a holy God. We got to get on our face before the Lord. And we've got to say, purify us, Lord, and cleanse us. And when we do that, the Lord's going to set us free. I, I don't want this to be a um, some trite thing, but we have never experienced the level of freedom that God has in store for us here right now. When we become a pure people, obedient to the Lord, there's going to be a level of freedom of the Holy Ghost, and we're going to there's going to be a pouring out of spiritual gifts, and with the freedom and submission and obedience, you're going to lay hands on someone; they'll instantly be healed. You'll find no satisfaction in that. You'll thank God for it. You'll, you won't even talk about it because you'll feel the urging and the spirit flow through you, but you'll move on. And the moment that you think you did something and tell someone what you did, that thing will be taken from you. But if you'll be humble before the Lord and let the Lord use you, from your own hands and from your own spirit, there will be miracles and there will be powerful healings in the church. And the Lord has ordained each of us to do something. Don't get caught up in yourself. It doesn't matter about you. You just become the obedient instrument of the Lord and the Lord will use you and work through you and for those of you who struggle and you don't have any confidence that's a you are a perfect candidate for God to use you he'd love to use you just like he did Gideon when Gideon said I'm the least of the tribe and my tribe is the least of the people and God said you're a mighty man of valor I want to tell everybody you're a mighty man of valor you're a mighty lady of valor and the Lord's going to use you to do great exploits in the kingdom the last words from Jacob as he was dying he gave a blessing a prophecy and sometimes some unsavory words to his sons Jacob is on his deathbed but he's speaking in prophetic terms They're going to last beyond the moment of his utterance. Jacob has 12 sons, 12 of them. Each of them had a personal word from their father. One of the sons, his name is Gad, G-A-D, Gad. All the sons are going to have something. I, I would hope that it would be a blessing if I was there. I'd hope it'd be a prophetic thing of, of a blessing and provision. 
I can only imagine that Jacob, while on his deathbed, is being used of God to speak things into existence or to prophesy of things to come that he knew nothing about. So when it came time for Jacob to speak over his son Gad, Jacob gave that son a one-sentence prophecy. Here's the prophecy. Jacob said on his deathbed, he said to his son, Gad, a troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome him at the last. The pronoun he is unrevealed and unresolved. It is not in conjunction with Gad. Hebrew scholars, especially those who study the Torah and who embrace the patriarchs, cannot and do not attribute the pronoun he that's found in Genesis 49 and 19 to Gad. Gad, a troop shall overcome him, but he, there's another person there, shall overcome him at last. The Hebrews knew that God was not the over, that, that Gad, rather, was not the overcomer. But they are bewildered at who it might be or what it might be that's going to set Gad free. And the reason why the Hebrew scholar, the ascetic Jew, who is no less than part of the yeshiva, which, which embraces the Talmud, the reason why they cannot determine the pronoun he in Genesis 49 to 19 is because they do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Jacob spoke a spiritual word about a stronghold over Gad and then a deliverance. And 1,800 years later, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, we got to cross over the sea. But that was the worst moment of their lives. They were full of fear and doubt because of a, a, a tumultuous wind and waves were beating against the ship and they thought they were going to die. And they woke Jesus up and said, Master, don't you care that we die? And he got up on the bow of that boat and, and spoke the words, peace be still. They were crying out for their lives. But Jesus was about to fulfill the words of Jacob. They just went through the worst storm that they had ever gone through. And when the storm was over, they landed on the other side. Mark chapter 5 verse 1. And they came over onto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadareans. <laughs> and the representative of the, of, the, of the country of the Gadareans of Gad was a man who was possessed. And when Jesus was come out of the ship immediately, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. One man was overcome by a troop. And the man said in verse 9, when Jesus said, what's your name? Who are you? He said, my name is Legion, for we are many. And 18 years, 1800 years prior, Jacob looked at Gad and said, Gad, a troop will overcome you, but someone's going to come and set you free. Listen, the disciples just came through a storm. The Messiah landed on the, on the shores of Gad. And there was someone bound. And the Lord set him free. And the prophecy was revealed. So I'm just going to say today. You're going to be set free. You're going to be set free from the pains and the hurts. The rejections of your past. And I don't know who it is in here. But you have heretofore not really worshipped God with all of your heart. And you've not done it vigorously. But you're going to get set free from that junk and that thing that binds you up. And God's going to change you. 
And when you get set free, every wound and every affliction, everything in your past, every hurt and pain, I'm talking about church hurt. I'm talking about world hurt. I'm talking about family hurt. God's going to set you free from that. And he's going to unloose that thing because you've been bound up for too long. And here's the key. The key is obedience. You're going to be obedient to the word of the Lord. And you're going to come before the Lord. And you're going to lay out before God. And you're going to say, God, purify me. And make me brand new. And make me whole. I want to be a holy man of God. I want to be a holy lady of the Lord. And the Lord is going to do the work in your life. Just lift up your hands where you're sitting. It's a spiritual moment of God. I'm inviting the ministering spirits to come into this house. I pray right now, Lord, under the unction of the Holy Ghost, let the angelic host of the Most High, let them come into this place and put their hands and rest themselves upon the shoulders and the heads of the people that are hungry for you Lord I pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ authority to your word according to the power of your name I set someone free today in the name of Jesus Christ I set you free from all that stuff that's in your mind in your spirit in your heart the Lord is going to deliver you I'm calling for someone to come and put their face in the carpet and say God you're a holy God you're a holy savior you're a holy God I'm calling for some men to come in here and lay before the Lord and say, you are a holy God. I bend my knee and my will and my pride and my ambition and my thoughts and my carnal thinking. I bend it all before you, Lord. And I, I, I ask you to forgive me of that, Lord, so that you can raise me up. Yabashata. I got a lot of room in the front for men. I got a lot of room for kneeling and falling before the Lord. If you're kneeling here or wherever you are, maybe your knees don't work and it's okay. I want you to just begin to repent before the Lord and ask God to cleanse you and purify you. And speak out of your mouth the things that you struggle with. Ask God to forgive you of fear and doubt. Say, Lord, I'm going to be obedient to your word and to your will. The key is obedience. There's a key in obedience. It's a key in obedience. you're struggling because you're not obedient the issues are coming from disobedience they're not coming from the devil yes 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 Yes, yes, from my heart, from my heart, from my spirit, from my heart, my spirit, from my heart, from my spirit, from my mind. Uh, Come on, disobedience separates us from God. 
Disobedience separates us from God. But obedience will draw us close to the Lord. It'll draw us close to his will. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yes. I'll be whiter than snow. Purge me with the hyssop, Lord. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew within me a right spirit, O Lord. Don't take your presence from me. The sacrifice of God or a broken heart, a broken and a contrite spirit, O God, you will not despise. Bring their forth fruits worthy of repentance. The times of refreshing shall come when we bring fruits worthy of repentance. Ego and pride, disobedience, a haughty spirit, a lack of serving. We know what to do, but we're not doing it. We know what is right, but we're not doing what is right. Half-hearted living, lukewarm lifestyles. Evil imaginations, uncontrolled words, anger and malice and wrath put away from you with all diligence. We want more than ceremony, Lord. We we need something more than tradition, Lord. want to conform to you, Lord. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Make it holy and acceptable unto the Lord. It's your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. even touch the unclean thing. Make a covenant with your eyes. Take into captivity every thought. Don't vie for position, but vie for a place at the altar. Rend your clothes. Rend your heart. Turn to God. Somebody needs to say it in your mouth. You ought to say this for yourself. You are Lord. Forgive me of trying to think through all this stuff. You are the Lord of my life. You're the keeper of my heart, my spirit. I'm struggling, Lord, to trust you. But Lord, forgive me of that struggle. You've never let me down. You've never, never abandoned me, Lord. Yes, holy Jesus.